Hello and welcome back to Real Talk with Mama Khwaja, the podcast. You're listening to episode number 7 and I'm your host Zara Khwaja, a banker by day and blogger by night. It is hard to talk about mental health, isn't it? But it's not impossible. This year has been about change. We have spent the last 8 months in adapting to change, whether we have accepted it or not. We have gone against the norms and adjusted ourselves to the new rules that are socially acceptable. Little things that are non-negotiable for the sake of our and the physical health of our, our loved ones. Do you think we can take the same rules and apply to other areas of our life, such as taking care of our mental health? Think about it. How the change one person makes can lead to having a positive impact on our family and friends around us. Joining me today are Marzia Hassan, a marriage and family therapist, Zaina Fazel, a behavior analyst, Kaniza Mir, a consciousness transformation coach and also a meditation guide, Aziza Marshi, a registered pharmacist and holistic nutritionist and Sayeda Akbar a personal trainer this my dear friend is your dream team who will help you normalize the conversation so let's get started assalam alaikum everyone wa alaikum assalam okay sayeda take it on All right, so I'm just going to start with our little intro right now. So I just want to say salam and hello to everybody watching. My name is Sayeda. Um everyone will introduce themselves as they go, but welcome to today's mental health table talk. So essentially the goal of today is to talk about the various aspects of mental health, and we are here today with a group of powerful, passionate women in their respective fields of work to discuss topics like identifying the signs of mental health in itself, different mechanisms to cope with it. how the gut is interconnected with mental health faith and spirituality and last is physical activities and the role in mental health and the goal essentially is to normalize this conversation around mental health and more importantly to continue the conversation through events like these so now i will pass it to zeranti aka mama khwaja <laughs> thank you thank you sayeda um thank you for your uh, bravery you know and sharing your journey and um with with everyone and and bringing awareness in in your generation i know we do a lot of talking in our generation but you know what is very very important right now is to um for the youth to be a part of the conversation um in the opening i shared a small clip i don't know if uh, most of you got to see it or not but uh, that clip was from a video that sayeda had shared um at 786 counseling uh on instagram um and i will share uh and i had shared it in my stories before but i'll reshare it at the end of our um event today as well for those who would like to uh watch it um it is hard to talk about mental health but it is definitely not impossible to do that and um so today that's why we're here and i hope you've baked your banana bread and you have your hot cup of coffee and you're you know you're here that the fact that you're here um and ideally if you're here with your family and your loved ones that is uh, the most important thing so joining me today are marzia hassan a family uh, therapist and a marriage counselor uh, zainab fazal a behavior analyst kaniz amir uh, who is a conscious transformation coach and a mediation guide uh, meditation guide and kaniz thank you so 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 much for being here today um uh everybody else but more so for for kaniz to be here and make time um aziza is a registered pharmacist and a holistic nutritionist and sayeda akbar is a personal trainer so um when i was doing my research on the topic uh i came across stats like in a given year one in five people will personally experience a mental health problem or illness and approximately 8% of adults will experience major depression at some time in their lives by the age 40 about 50% of the population will have or have had a mental illness so marzia can can i ask you to define mental health what exactly does it mean 
Okay, so salam alaikum everyone. Uh, to put it very simply, you know, we always say mental health. What does it mean exactly? So to put it very simply, it simply means how are you feeling? You know, are you feeling okay? And so, you know, one of the things that we need to recognize is that when we talk about mental health, it is on a spectrum, right? So on one end is a severe uh, mental illness, such as, you know, it could be a personality disorder, it could be a significant mental illness, which needs medical attention, right? And on the other hand is what we call mental well-being, it means that you are thriving, you are flourishing. And part of the issue has been in the in the field of psychology that up to now, until very recently, psychologists and therapists have only focused on how not to get people depressed. Like if they're depressed or if they have a mental uh, illness, how to get them to function, right? Uh, however, what is much more inspiring and uh, something that we can all work on is how to flourish, you know, how to thrive, how to be at our best. And that is something that all of us, you know, whether or not we have a mental illness, whether or not we have depression, anxiety, or a di other diagnosed mental illness, that's something when we talk about mental health, we can all work on that. So I hope that makes sense. So, so is it is it safe to say that it is a complex interplay of genetic, mm -hmm. biological, personality, and environmental factors that cause mental illness? Uh, everybody, your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think uh, uh, it's a holistic approach. That's why I think it's important, you know, and I think in the medical community, we've been kind of, um, we've taken the wrong approach. And I think things are changing now is because we've kind of looked at it as just, oh, you know, just treat it one way. But really, like you said, it's an interplay, right? There's environment involved, there's gut involved, there's genes involved. So a holistic approach definitely is what's needed. So you, I, I think, I mean, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but I think it's definitely, in my opinion, it's, it's definitely an interplay of a lot of factors. And that's why you can approach it from so many different directions. For one person, it may be just one thing that needs to be fixed and you're done, right? And then you, you feel much better. But for others, it may be a whole bunch of things that you need to work on. Yeah, because I think it's gen like, I think it is a little bit genetic too, no? Uh, Marzia, what do you think? Because I like, uh, I know that in my family and my mom's side, there is like a bit of, you know, depression. And and somehow, like, I feel like there, I could go, sometimes I go through this where, you know, I'm doing really well. Everything is, you know, great. And then all of a sudden you just feel like this pulled from the inside. And then you sit there and think about, okay, but like, why am I feeling this way? So do you think that, that's something genetic? So, yeah, so those are, I think, two different questions, right? One is that uh, whether it is uh, genetic and for sure, you know, there are definitely, uh, you know, families that are predisposed to it and it may not be genetics. It could also be what we call multi-generation trauma, for example, right? So if people have been going through stuff, um, it could even be things outside of us like racism, for example, uh, violence, immigration, it could be so many things, right? When people have gone through that and have not had the language to talk about it, to, to get help for themselves or even to language it, right? Even to express it, uh, obviously it is going to go down, uh, you know, the generations, right? So mm -hmm. definitely genetics is one part of it, but genetics, uh, you know, again, I think uh, Aziza mentioned epigenetics, right? What that means is that you may be predisposed to something, but your genetic expression is not predetermined. So even though you may be predisposed to it, you can definitely do things, you can help yourself so that your genes, and it's the same thing with diabetes, with any other uh, physical illness as well, right? Just because you've had a family history doesn't mean that you're going to get it. It just means that you're at a higher risk. And I guess sometimes it just becomes like, right? Like you just throw in, throw in the towel or you just kind of give in and say, you know, it is in my genes, I'm going to get it. So you don't want to make that effort to change. And that's why uh, being more aware about it, I guess, is important, right? And then taking those steps. So if I know I have diabetes in my family, I'm not going to indulge myself in having lots of sugar stuff in, right? So I guess a mental state would probably be the same thing. Um, so uh, another fact that I came across was that it is estimated that 10 to 20% of Canadian youth are affected by mental health illness or disorder. And anxiety disorders affect about 5% of household population causing mild to severe impairment. So Zainab, with so many people going through this, how does one uh, support someone 
who uh, they love uh, is, is struggling with some kind of mental crisis. Yeah, um, so just to start off with like research supports, right? So anybody dealing with anything and like Marzanti talked about like the spectrum. So you have got like the, you know, mental uh, well-being, right? In general, all the way to the more um, severe end of the spectrum. Um, research supports along that entire spectrum, when you've got friends and family that's supportive and that's there to help you, that those people are gonna fare a lot better. Um, and so it's really important to be able to have the skill set to be that support system. Um, so there's so many different ways you could do that. I think the two most important things for me is just learning the skills so that you can be actually supportive, empathetic, encouraging patient. And when you're dealing with mental health issues, there's this really fine line between uh, being supportive and being patronizing. So if anyone's ever come across somebody and you're talking to somebody and they say something like, well, you can just step out of it, but that doesn't work. Or why is this happening? If I had the answers, you know, I might not be where I'm at right now. Um, or you used to be the life of the party, right? So statements like that can be really demeaning and full of guilt for the person who's receiving it. So in terms of that fine line, make sure that, you know, the unsolicited advice there's no room for that. There's no need <laughs> for that. Like yeah. ask the person, you know, like be straight up and ask the person, like, do you want my help? Do you want me to tell you what I think? Or do you want me to just listen to you? Right? And I don't think that we do that. We think about it from our own perspective versus the receiver, you know, and in a conversation, you've got a receiver, you've got the speaker, you've got the listener, you've got all the noise around of everything that's happening. And then you've got the message. So learning the skills to be a really, really good listener, I think is quite possibly one of the most important things to provide that support, right? Um, don't compare your life when you're talking to them. Oh yeah, but you know, like if someone shares something with you, oh yeah, I remember a time when I, like don't do any oh, of that stuff. It's not about you right now, right? It's about them completely. Um, always meet them where they are not where you are. Cause you might be, you know, Mama Kwaja, you said earlier that like things are fine and then you go on to this thing and then everything's good, but you kind of feel down, right? So when you're talking to somebody who's going through that roller coaster or has like that little down phase, then meet them where they are, right? Not where they are, not where they were a week ago or even a day ago, right? Because it fluctuates. Mental well-being can fluctuate all the time. Be really conscious. Um, if you're going to make comments, comment on their actions and choices, not their character, right? Um, so the mental illness is not what defines them. They're a person with anxiety. They're a person with depression right now. They're not a depressed person, right? So even just changing the language around is really yeah. important in terms of how they identify with themselves. Um, check yourself, like, where are you coming from? What are your intentions with this person? right? Are you there to actually just listen and help? Or are you there to have like that one up type of conversation with them? Um, and when you are listening, be really careful and aware of your nonverbal communication, right? So if I'm like looking around doing all of this stuff, that person is going to be like, well, she's not really interested. She's bored. I'm burdening her. So be really mindful. Um, those are ways to support them. So um, and being present, really, really look into how you can do that. The other way you can support someone is to do some of their tasks for them, right? And I know this sounds meaning like it could be meaningless stuff or it could be just like smaller tasks like, hey, you know, I'll make the appointment for you. And kind of remembering that when somebody is dealing with a mental health issue, right, whether it's diagnosed or kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, some of the tasks that we think are really easy to do, right, might seem really overwhelming to that person. So offer types of help and support that don't endorse or let them, you know, you're not, it's not about fixing a person and it's not about doing everything for them so that they can kind of remain in that state of depression or anxiety or whatever. It's about just making their life just a tad bit easier. So if you're going groceries, call and be like, you're going groceries. Can I pick anything up for you? Right. Um, and it's not about, or, even if, or can I pick you up? Do you want to come with me for grocery shopping? Absolutely. I think that would just get them out of the house. Right. Like just little things, which doesn't kind of really make them feel like, Oh, she's, 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 you know, it's not like in the face kind of thing. It's just like, Hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to come along? Right. Yeah. 
absolutely don't stop inviting them or stop doing stuff just because they've said no. Um, your job as a support person is to be part of their um, healing and wellness, right? It's not to hold their hand. It's not about fixing somebody else because you can't, right? Um, it's about what can I do to make your life somewhat easier, whether it's in this moment, in the long run, whatever it is. Uh -huh. So offering those types of support. And I know I could go on and on and on of ways to support him. I'm sure you have questions. No, no. I mean, you know, these are all very, I think, practical things and very, like, sometimes we, like, at least I think, I don't know if you all agree or not, but like, I feel like they seem like such small little things that we were like, oh no, like she, but it's th that small little thing that appears to us is something, such a big gesture to somebody, right? Like if you just kind of sometimes out of the blue call them or say, hey, you know what, let's go for a walk or let's oh, I just, I was just passing by, here's your favorite coffee, right? Those things just make you feel a, a whole lot validated when you're feeling so down. So, so no, it's, it's, I think it's so important. And, and especially when you're down, 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 I think um, there's a, there's a quote by Imam Ali that says, when the world pushes you down to your knees, you're in the perfect position to pray, right? And, and, you know, and that's where I think I'm going to ask Kanise, uh, like, how can one find comfort uh, with God, right? Like yeah. uh, during a mental health crisis, right? So when you're really feeling low, everything that Zainab is saying, like there are people who can do all that little things for them. But then when you're in the presence of God, how can that help you? I think also, um, you know, your relationship with God is so important. Um, many of us have a fear-based relationship with God where we feel like he's constantly judging us or he's out to get us or, you know, he's going to throw challenging situations at us. And I think just shifting that perspective and seeing God as only love, like just unconditional, uh, unlimited love is like the greatest thing you can do for yourself because uh, God is within you. He's not you know, he's not outside of you. He is within you in your heart. And um, just really uh, understanding that he's only there to love you and to give you whatever is best for you. And also, um, you know, everything that is around you, like even the earth that we live on, right? It's so loving. Like if we can just consciously connect to the earth, like as we're even just walking, going out for a walk, being in nature, how loving does that feel? It actually shifts the way we feel. Like it brings this sense of inner peace and tranquility within us. You know, every step, like the other day, like I'm going through something heavy in my life right now. And just the other day I was walking outside and I felt like, the, the earth was just, you know, caressing me, like with every step that I took, I just felt this immense love just come within. And, and I think when we're going through these challenges, the only thing that can heal us is love. And God is only love. Yeah. So, I, you know huge. what, like, if I can ask all of you this question, like, I, I, and I've asked different people, like, if you close your eyes, and you like, and I mean, my image of God is very different now, but I used to say this, if you close your eyes uh, and if you can visualize God, what would God look like? Mm -hmm. And my image of God always was this old man in a dark place with a long beard and like a, like a stick and this very serious look on his face. And I know like, and that was my image of God. And always fear-based, you know, I think growing up, it was always like, if you don't do this, Allah will punish you. If you don't do this, but there was nothing. Oh, if you do this, Allah will shower you with love. If you do this, you know, uh, or Allah loves you. So you know how you have that fear of the police car? You know, they're your protector. But the minute a police car comes in your house, starts pounding. And, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Even though they're just passing by, they're just having their coffee. Even if it's like a drive through, you're just making sure everybody's so so but they see in you, Zena. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny. But I mean, so to me, I've shifted that image significantly. And I and I had the conversation with my children 
a lot like you know when we're talking about god i'm like he loves you he he wants to take care of you so make allah your best friend right and that is a one entity or one energy or one being that will never ever leave your side so no matter what no matter where you are just close your eyes and connect to allah and i know it's easier said at this age at 40 i mean you're talking to teenagers right but say that do you think that your you think that you know you grew up with that image and do you think that sh- that's shifting a little bit or no um so just a little funny story as context um just growing up i used to do this thing after every namaz i would pray beside amma in between amma and my sister and just after namaz i would go down to such that i would just you know pray always just um and then i would kiss them more and i'd say love you say, love oh. you <laughs> love you <laughs> so i would just always just and like uh, uh kinizanti was saying is that you know god is love and without our heart which is our love we don't exist and something that my dad has recently been teaching my siblings and i is to have a god centered lifestyle so you could be muslim you could be canadian you could be this or that but don't forget that the god is god is the center of your life and you know like i'm learning that slowly slowly and as long as i can remember that then you know i think he has my back yeah <laughs> as long as i continue so, to love so him imagine like for me i'm realizing this as i was nearing 40 and mashallah you're just in your 20s so imagine you have such a good head start right to that relationship with god right yeah and and i think if you like you know if you do it and you share that same thing with the people around you so they will benefit around the same time right like and then the growth is just immense i find right yeah um so a lot of people are unaware of the relationship between the gut and mental health and i am one of those people like i i hear it but i'm like yeah whatever that's me like how can food or my gut be related to my mind so aziza uh, how is it possible that the connection of the gut can affect your brain health um can you explain that connection please okay so it makes sense why a lot of people don't know about it because this is a fairly recent i think discovery i would say in the last decade you know we've always known that the you know one of the things that i guess we've done in the medical community we've kind of separated the mind and the body and that's probably one of the biggest mistakes because really they're connected right but we did know all along that the brain controls the gut in the sense that you know if you're stressed out you know i'm sure many of you have experienced you know you kind of like if you have to do a presentation or whatever you know you feel nauseated you don't want to like eat i used to always feel that and so we know we always knew that for a while that the brain connected the gut right so if you if you're stressed out you weren't feeling well in your stomach what was a recent discovery is that that connection between the brain and the gut is bidirectional which means that not only is the brain telling your gut what to do the gut actually tells the brain how to feel which is a discovery that probably out in the last decade and if you don't really know about it you if you google gut brain connection there'll be so many hits because that's that's been a really big area of study So what they found in our, there are a lot of studies um in animal studies but there's some in humans as well. What they found that the condition of the gut can actually lead to anxiety in the brain. So there's a there's a mice study that they did and they induced inflammation in the gut. So when I say gut it means the the intestinal like the digestive tract right the large intestine the stomach and the small intestine. So they induced inflammation in the gut in these mice and um what they found was the amygdala in the brain which is a structure that's responsible for fear anxiety all those negative emotions that was hyperactivated which means that the mice were now feeling anxiety because their gut was inflamed you know and so that this i mean and there are many studies like that that have shown that you know the changing in the gut and and that's not just even the inflammation in the gut you know you've got in the new I guess the addition to this whole gut brain connection is the microbiome which is the bacteria that live in our gut and that's another like big explosion of of studies here that are talking about that the if your microbiome is out of balance that can also lead to a lot of mental issues and and I'll give you an example um this was a few years back I had a patient that actually developed diarrhea like she was having on and off diarrhea right and they weren't trying to they were they weren't able to doctors weren't able to figure out what was going on so that she was going through tests and then 
the next thing I know, her husband comes to the pharmacy with like a prescription for an antidepressant. And I'm like, what's going on? She goes, I don't know. You know, she's never had this, but suddenly she's feeling really down and the doctor put on an antidepressant. And so we sort of worked with her gut and, you know, helping her with that. But the diet, once the diarrhea resolved within a few months, she was off the antidepressants. So it was totally connected, right? This was like my first-hand experience. I saw someone with a, with a gut-related issue just end up with a, almost like a mood disorder, which she's never had. And it resolved as soon as, you know, so there's, there's, there's a huge connection. And I think it's important to understand, like I said, it's a holistic approach, right? It could just be for some people, I mean, we all biochemically different, right? So for some people, it may just be the gut. It may just be, you know, what we're eating, how we're eating, all that stuff that can have an impact on the mental health. So do you think that the, so what we're eating, you know how like our brain releases some chemicals and all that things that, you know, and everything. So do you think that whatever we're eating, whatever we're consuming and our gut is processing, like in whatever, that is also like all connected with the the, the chemical imbalance in our brain. And then that's how like, I guess we feel because I know like, so I've been asked to go gluten free for a while because I have Hashimoto's and and whatnot. So I was like, oh, I can't give up my breads. I can't my (laughs) bread and butter first thing in the morning with my chai is like my thing. And so finally, I said, okay, I need to do this. Now let me try, right? Let me, uh, let me prove everybody wrong. (laughs) Nothing to do with that. And there's no such thing as gluten. So I, I reduced, I didn't stop it. I reduced my gluten intake. So, and then I have like that moment of weakness when emotionally you're not feeling the best. And then you're like, oh, I'm just going to indulge myself in like my comfort food, which is toast, butter and toast, right? Lots of butter. And I had that. And then all of a sudden I could feel, I could just feel like I'm not feel like I was feeling different, right? From where I was eating less gluten. And that was like a new discovery for me. And I think I used to always feel that heaviness and not in the no, light. So then I could differentiate. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. So that's so why. Food, so- food, food mood disorder, like a food mood <laughs> that diary. So eat the food, like, you know, to keep it, like, like you said, you know, when you, when you did that, you realize, oh, you know, there is a, there is a, cause it, it doesn't always happen for everybody, right? Everybody's different, right? But for you, you notice. So that's why a food mood diary is an excellent way of knowing if certain foods are affecting you. Sorry, right? Marcia, you were trying to say something there? So I was just saying, that's why the way we eat is MAD, M-A-D, the modern American diet, right? M-A-D oh. is actually crazy. It's not designed for human consumption. And mm. definitely, um, you know, if we change the way we eat, uh, whether or not our mood improves, you know, of course, physical and mental health is also related, right? So, you know, just uh, even, you know, between supplementation and the way we eat, it's it's a huge part of it, right? It's it's not a small part. Yeah, yeah. And of course, physical activity, right, Sayeda? Yeah. So like you mentioned in your full video, if, if you guys haven't had a chance to watch it, um, Sayeda's talked about, um, how physical activity helped her uh, get through her mental crisis. So could you explain more about how using physical activity helps one? So um, I don't want to get too personal. I want to make it more of a general idea for people. But uh, physical activity in itself is a powerful medicine, I would say, for many mental health challenges. So Um, physical activity could mean something as small and simple as going for a walk like a lot of people do including myself you know like something as simple as that or you know obviously like lifting weights jogging biking like these are all different ways to move your body and what the physical activity does is it releases these types of chemicals in your body called endorphins which are essentially called feel-good chemicals right and it helps you to continue to be active because it helps your mood it helps your anxiety your depression and those types of feelings that you're feeling and I think for myself um, personally that's what it was was um, you know you're in a dark space you're in a little bit of a of a tough situation and moving your body, feeling better about yourself by going for that jog or going for that walk. Because before before going for that walk, you couldn't do it. You just wanted to sit on the couch and you wanted to 
sulk over something, which is fine, you know, but it's about getting yourself past that and understanding that perseverance and that struggle leads to success, but it's about wanting it. And it's about understanding how you're in the now you're in the present, but you also seek that future better self for yourself. So, yeah. So, so basically you're, you're allowed to feel the feelings, right? Like when you're feeling that way, don't, don't, don't be hard on yourself and say, no, no, you can't. Right. Um, I guess you can take that moment to acknowledge the feeling and feel the feeling. And then I guess then process, right. Okay. Where, and, and not everybody will probably draw strength in all aspects, right? So eating right and meditation and working out. And so I guess, but wherever the one thing that you can, that connects with you or brings you out of there. And then slowly you can, I guess, grasp all three. And that would be like the perfect ideal thing, right? Like if you are able to connect spiritually and that you take everything and and try to heal yourself out of it. and then, and then be in a better space and then just kind of maintain it, right? So same way physical activity helps you lose weight and then you can maintain it, mm-hmm. I guess, same way, right? Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. I would say so. I think then again, right? Then you can have another bad day and that's okay. But you understand that that perseverance and you understand that that, that wavelength of up and down and life and good days, bad days, your anxiety might go higher because of, school, for example, or because of work and things like that, right? But understanding that uh, it takes more than just sitting around about it and actually doing something, right? And that's when you can get the help or talk to someone or um, be part of events like these and, you know, vocalize how you're feeling for the first time. And it took me years to do that. Yeah. Or like Zainab said, if you have that support system and if you know, if you know somebody who's going through it and you know, okay, she, she, she might benefit from a walk or she mm-hmm. might just benefit from um, a nice meal. Right? And you said, like, actually going with them, like, Hey, do yeah. you want to go for a walk? Yeah. And I know we've done that before too. <laughs> or meditation too, or connecting or just having that, you know, pick up the phone and have that phone call or directing them towards the right type of help that they really need, whether it's, you know, therapy. And, and, and I guess that's where, like, I would say that, you know, the stigma or discrimination attached to mental health uh, illnesses presents like a serious barrier, um, you know, for people to either get a diagnosis or even a treatment for that matter, right? So, um, and, and that, I guess that acceptance that you're looking for. So because there's so much stigma and all that around it, that you just kind of quietly suffer and um, you know almost one half of those who feel they have uh, suffered from depression or anxiety have never gone to see a doctor about it right so so Marzia like what kind of help is available for people like that and like who should one turn to Yes. So I think it really depends on what the issue is, right? Like we said, there are so many variants of mental distress that it really depends on what you're going through. If it is, for example, a significant issue in the sense it's beyond just feeling down or having a little bit of anxiety. Uh, You know, when we're talking about mental illness, obviously it's a whole gamut, right? I mean, there could be personality disorders, it's schizophrenia, it could be a whole variety of stuff, right? And for the very serious things, you do need a psychiatrist, right? A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who can diagnose and give medication and all of that. So that is, I would say... um, Again, when I'm talking about the hierarchy of mental health professionals, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about in terms of um, uh, degrees and education and all of that, right? So I would say that that's at the top and below that is a psychologist. A psychologist is someone who is uh, spends most of their time doing testing actually to see what you know what help you do need, and um, they you they work in the school system or in a professional setting, and that's you know those are they're not medical doctors, but they are I would say one level. Again, they have to go to school for many years. Most of them would have at least uh, a, most of them would even have a PhD you know, more than even a master's degree, right? Then underneath that are um, uh, psychotherapists, 
uh, you know, mental health, uh, you know, who do talk therapy, right? Uh, people who do talk therapy, they're not allowed to diagnose, uh, but they, they engage, but they have training in um, recognizing significant issues so that if you can't deal with it, you know who to refer them to, right? And uh, then underneath that, so all of these are highly regulated as well. Regulated means that they have, they're answerable to people. They have their own colleges, which have codes of ethics. They have a system of working, right? And, and after that, uh, it gets much less regulated in the sense that, you know, from talking to a friend, a spiritual guide, like, uh, you know, an imam of a mosque or, uh, you know, your, your local pastor kind of thing. And in between that come coaches, right? Now, coaching is a new industry. It's, it's not regulated. And you could have, uh, you know, basically, anyone can call themselves a coach, right? It doesn't mean that they don't help. I'm just talking about what the regulations are. And whoever you're working with, you know, the bottom line is that the most healing thing is the relationship that you have with your helping professional. So whoever you're speaking to, when you're choosing somebody, you know, don't be afraid of asking them, you know, what are, what is their background? How much training do they have? Do they, are they supervised? You know, have they dealt with issues like this before? Like you have to, you know, be a little bit of an advocate for uh, your mental health yourself. So when you are, you know, and again, what I, what I tell clients as well is that if something's not working out, if your relationship with your therapist is not working out, don't give up on therapy you know, give up on that person and choose somebody else. But don't give up on the fact that you need help and that you, sometimes you have to go to two or three people before you will find somebody who, um, you know, is providing you that relationship where you, you know, that relationship of trust and care and compassion where you can begin to heal. And I think that, uh, like, like you said, to find that connection, you, you, you might, there might be like the top therapist, right? But if, uh, if the, the personalities are not jiving or whatever, that doesn't mean that, you know, okay, this is not good for me. That means just this person, like it, we're just not connecting. I feel like, I mean, if like I I've been for therapy and, uh, and I feel like the thing that I was looking in, in a therapist for myself was, um, you know, somebody who can understand our cultural and a little bit of a religious values too. Because I think that plays a very important role, right? Um, like, it, it, you know, and, and, and I don't know, like as a y younger person, say that once again, I'm kind of going to throw it back at you. Like, right, you, do you feel like sometimes uh, just going to a random person, like I know it has to be a balance, right? So it cannot be, we cannot completely push somebody who's religious or, or too much from a culture. There has to be a little bit of a balance. But I know for myself, like I would... So they would understand me a little bit better. No, am I right? Thoughts, everybody? Or um, I think for myself, uh, it was easier to be with someone who wasn't necessarily from my culture, from our culture per se, because um, unfortunately we have stigma around South Asian girls. Like, don't worry about it. Like, it's not that big of an issue or like, um, sorry, I got kind of quiet. It's just, you know, um, things like that, like things that make you feel inferior and make, make yourself believe that, you know, it's not true. You don't feel what you feel where I was going or to it's all in your head or, you know, you're yeah. making a big deal about it. Yeah. But why, would, why would I go, why would I go to someone who makes me feel like that? And I think that's why having for myself, having someone who understands religion, who understands culture, but, um, has a different take on it that can give me more than just it's all in your head sometimes um, yeah. is super valuable and beneficial. So I think on the other end of the spectrum, right, again, it's about a good therapist will have training in dealing with different, different backgrounds and different uh, uh, ways of being, right? On the other hand, for example, if you go to, uh, and, I, and I strongly believe that you can have a great relationship with a therapist who's not from your culture. And it, it really depends on your uh, level of comfort and on the therapist, right? You could also go to a therapist who will look at you, um, uh, you know, and think, oh, she is, you know, put you in that box that she is an oppressed 
person wearing a hijab from a South, uh, South uh, Indian uh, you know, background, right? So it could be, what I'm saying is that it doesn't really mean that if you go to somebody outside your community that you will find more uh, support just as it, you know, the opposite is not true either, right? And that's why you actually have to maybe try <laughs> a couple before you find somebody who is- uh, Exactly. You know, and and I think it's all the onus of the, the therapist or the coach that you're going to, is that if they themselves feel that, uh, not just in this aspect, but any other aspect, like if there's a coach and if they're consciously responsible, they'll be like, okay, this issue is beyond me, right? Uh, right? Like, and then you would refer them to somebody else, right? Like, Ideally, a therapist would, right? I mean, that's part of our ethics code too. But I just want to add here also is that everything doesn't have to be with one therapist, right? Like we're talking about holistic approaches and stuff too, that you don't need to be married to one methodology, right? Because every therapist, like Marzianti is going to practice differently than I'm going to practice, for example, right? And that might work for someone and or Marzianti's methodology might work because our trainings are different, um, but they're not your end all be all. Right. So you might be contacting someone like Kanis, who's going to talk to you about the spirituality aspect, but that might not be everything that you need. But like, you know, talking about the physical aspect or the gut aspect. Right. So we're all here from like different areas. And that's what people need. It's like an entire support group cheering you on to help you out with a bunch of different things, too. So one methodology might not work. One therapist might not work. Um, sometimes you need to look at an entire support group, right? And I think that coaches are great, therapists are great, um, of course, the religion, all of these aspects are great. And sometimes it's just about being part of a support group. So you're heard, right? And the validation from a person who's dealing with the same thing you're going through, that you can't get from a therapist, you can't get that from a spiritual coach, you can't get that from any type of other coach, right? Or professional. So I think it's about looking at the combination of types of therapies, support groups, different methodologies, all of that stuff to give you what you're looking for. Because every person's different, right? And everybody's struggle is different. And you could have someone with a personality disorder that needs all of that, right? With the psychiatrist, but even someone with that extreme end, psychiatrist isn't enough, right? The psychiatrist is gonna diagnose, is gonna give you the cocktail of medications and then you're on your way and that's not enough right because research yeah. supports the combination of the two where it's like the medicinal approach but then there's the behavioral therapy or any other type of therapy that you're looking at yeah so it's like it's like going to school and having different teachers who are going to pull in all different subjects and then on a whole make you a doctor or make you an accountant or make you who you are today, right? So I think I think that's the kind of concept that you should go to. So 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 having said that, so if somebody's going through something, um, again, they they need to pull from every side. Uh, so from a so you know hire fit, uh, a personal trainer like Sayeda, who's gonna make you you know <laughs> work hard, and then of course you know uh, connect with somebody like Kanis, who is going to you know calm you down and work with you in your spiritual aspect, but then you need somebody like Aziza as well, who is going to direct you where your gut's going or connect with Zainab or Marzia, who's really going to work with their expertise to kind of fix things what they can fix, right? So huge deal, right? There's a lot to do, uh, but it's it may sound daunting, but I think it's very doable. And of course, if you have a support system, a good, good, good support system, um, you know, like, let's say someone I know is going through. Um, but again, the support system has to be really strong as well. Right. And and that's where, like, my next question, uh, I guess, to, to Zainab will be that there is so like, you know, a lot of times we get caught up in taking care of our family and our friends who are going through all this. And and, you know, we we we, we go into this repair mode. For them, and uh, we're so focused on them that in the in that numbness we forget us, right? So uh, when when someone we know is going through this, um, how can I maintain myself? Um, you know, while supporting someone. Yeah, and it's a really important thing to think about and remember, right? Because we are as 
men were fixers, as women were fixers, uh, depending on what role you play, right? So if you're in the parent role versus the child role or the partner role, um, or even a friend role, um, we tend to take on a lot of the person that we care about and what they're going through and stuff. So this analogy hurts a little bit because of coronavirus and none of us can fly anywhere right now. But remember that time, I don't know how many months ago, it feels like years ago where we used to be able to fly places and the flight attendant used to say, put your mask on first before you help the person beside you. Same idea, right? So trying to keep that in mind to say, if I'm supporting someone that I really love and care about, that's gonna hit me more right, than a professional who's trying to help somebody as well, right, because there's all this emotional attachment to that person. So if I don't put my mask on first, I'm actually doing um, a disservice, if you will, or harm to myself and the person I'm trying to help, because I'm not okay enough to be able to help that person. So keeping that in mind is really, really important. And it doesn't mean it has to be one or the other. And just because you're setting boundaries for yourself or looking after your own mental well-being, it doesn't mean you're dismissing the other person or you love them any less or you're providing them any less support. So first is just having that, um, having that at the back of your mind that I got to put my mask on first so that I can be the best version of myself to help the person that I love. Um, really, really important. So that means setting some boundaries, right? And that means, and this is part for both ends, but keeping promises to yourself. So if your promise to yourself is that you're going to take walks by yourself because nature helps, physical exercise helps, then keep that promise, but make those promises manageable. So it's like, well, I'm going to do an hour a day so that I'm okay. And then you don't do it. And then you're down on yourself because you didn't keep that promise to yourself. Like it's just, it, yeah, it snowballs, right? So keep meaningful, easy to reach targets for yourself. Keep those promises for yourself. So again, you can take care of your own well-being. Remembering that you're not there to take on everyone's burden. Right. Like, and I know all of us, well, except say the, our moms and <laughs> taking on like everything you have to do in mom role, it's a lot. And we take it upon ourselves that we need to like create and raise these amazing human beings, know all of the answers, never break down. And the list goes on and on and on. Right. We're not there. We're there to guide people. We're there to help our children grow up and become the best versions of the that they possibly can, right? And I'm speaking to myself as a mom as well with this advice. But even when it's somebody else, like you're not there to fix someone, right? And in my, like the way I see it, it's, I don't think anybody needs fixing. I think mm -hmm. people just need help support to be the best versions of they, that they can be, right? So I don't even yeah. like using that word. Um, so you're not there to take on everybody's burden. You're not supposed to be everybody's rock. You're supposed to hold people's hand and just help them along their path right um and giving yourself permission to take a break like that's okay to do um if you have somebody who's dealing with more of um you know the severity of their mental health issue diagnosed or not is a lot more extreme let's say um find a support group so facebook's a good place to go even if you start on google for example talking to people who are also supporting someone else right so there's for example when we talk about like mind and body illnesses there's cancer support groups um, when somebody has an addiction there's support groups for family members um, who are supporting someone with an addiction for example mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so finding a support group, because again, if I can hash out some of the stuff that I'm going through with somebody who can relate to me, right, it's, I have this motto, right, it's a problem shared is a problem halved. So ha kind of sharing and talking about some of that stuff with somebody who can really get you is really, really helpful, right, and then under and ask for help, right, just as we're we kind of expect that of the person we're helping, like we're teaching them or helping them ask for help. That takes a lot of courage, right? So if you are in that role of helper, supporter, fixer of all things, right? The person who has all of the answers, then ask for help because we really can't do it on our own. Um, and remember that your job is not to obviously enable anybody, but our job is to help people learn to help themselves. Yeah. Right? you're doing a disservice if you do everything for that person. If you completely pave the way, they're not gonna learn the skills, right? And then, yeah. then you start developing different types of attachments, which are toxic, right? Um, 
so really our job is to help them learn how to help themselves, whether that's your kid, your partner, your friend, your parent, whoever that relationship is with. So um, yeah, look out for support and ask for help if you need it. And yeah, yeah. be aware, and, right? That and I think also connecting, like staying connected spiritually too, like would kind of really help, right? For some people it helps, you know, being, if you're, if you're strong spiritually, I think then providing that, support system to somebody who's going through it is also very good. I'm going to, um, I'm going to quote another uh, one of Imam Ali's quotes, and it says, do not let your difficulties fill you with anxieties. After all, it is only in the darkest nights that the stars, uh, stars shine more bright. Um, so Kaniz, how does meditation uh, help one connect to the spiritual self? And um, and how can this lead to uh, find yourself be better and stronger? So it's really important to remember that we are spiritual beings having this human experience. And so, you know, uh, going through certain emotions is all part of the human experience. So what meditation does is when you close your eyes, you're, um, you're shutting away all the stimulation from your environment and you're connecting to your soul, to your spiritual self, your, um, your inner world within. And what, because most of the time we are, you know, so busy being busy, trying to just make things work day to day, do the things that we need to do. We're so focused on our external world that even if we're going through pain within, we are, we're not connecting, we're not like allowing ourselves to feel that pain or even acknowledge that we're going through pain. But when you do meditation, um, you're really connecting with yourself and you're allowing yourself to feel, you're allowing yourself to familiarize, you know, what emotions are coming up, what some of, some of the triggers are in your life. Um, how you're thinking, you're getting really familiar with your thoughts and your feelings. And I think once we really begin to familiarize ourselves with our inner world, then we can actually, you know, take action once we've, you know, once we've acknowledged and we're aware of what it is, then we can take action. So meditation really helps us connect to ourselves. And I think what happens is, you know, having this human experience, we disconnect many a times to who we are, how we feel, what we're thinking. Um, and so it really allows us to integrate into the spiritual and um, physical self. And meditation personally has really helped me because it's, it's connected, it's helped me connect to my heart and to my intuition. Um, it's helped me slow down the overthinking mind because the mind is right. It's like constantly, you know, creating so much noise and like overthinking, overanalyzing every single situation. And it's just helped me calm my mind down so that I can really get in touch with my heart, my intuition. And um, that's helped me take inspired action where I'm like I, you know, connect to God because God is within us and, and the heart is the seat of your soul. So just kind of, you know, connecting to the guidance that's coming through, um, asking God for help because, you know, he has given us so much um, free will. And when we say yes, when we ask, it is given to us. So coming from that space of awareness, acknowledgement, acceptance, and having the courage to say, yes, God, I need help here. You know, I'm not feeling good. And uh, when you set those intentions, like the help does come, it may come in a, you know, through a book that may fall off the shelf. It may come through a conversation you'll have with someone, um, you know, it will come through like a video or something that you will come across that is showing you that God is with you yeah. and um, you know, he's helping you through this and there are signs all around you. Yeah. I, I mean, just, I think a, a week or so ago, something yeah. had happened, something rather silly. And I, I, you know, I went to bed thinking about it and, you know, having a little bit of a heavy heart and I woke up in the morning and I did my thing and I opened up my Instagram and I kid you not, the like the first meme that came up, I was like, 
whoa, is this true? Like, is this really, like it was in the moment you're just like, but then I, and I used to have that kind of reaction before a lot when something would happen, I'd be like completely like thrown off. And now I'm like, yeah, okay. I got your message, God. Like I, you know, I got it. Like out of all the algorithms and out of everything else that can pop up on my screen, if I get that message, when I open it up, I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm good. And, and, and it can come in the form of a cake too. Right. But Aziza, yeah. do you really think that that cake that comes to you as a gift is a good thing for our gut? Like, depends on what's in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I'm going to take this whole cake situation and ask you, like, how can, um, how can we support our gut uh, in order to improve our mental health? Like, if that cake really comes to me at the time when I'm really feeling low, should I just sit there and finish the whole cake? <laughs> So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a different take on it from the, you know, because we talk a lot about what we eat, right. And how that affects our gut. And a lot of people know about healthy eating, like, you know, about the gluten-free and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. What I want to really focus on, and because I want to like, I want people to realize that gut health doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be about probiotics and supplements and any of that. It really is about how we eat. You know, because what we eat is just as important as how we eat. And sometimes I think it's more important to focus on how we eat. Because what happens that the biggest problem, the the biggest problem with the gut happens when our digestive systems are not working well, right? Our digestion is delayed. It's not, the food's not moving through properly. You know, we're not emptying out our guts properly. And that happens because of not what we eat so much, if how we eat. And what do I mean by that? You know, a lot of us are used to eating on the go. And that's probably the worst thing you can do, you know, and and, and Kani's talked about meditation, you know, and if you really don't want to do meditation, start doing mindful eating, because that's really, that's really focusing on your food while you're eating it, right? Because a lot of our digestion actually starts with what they call a cephalic phase. That's the phase that happens before we even put the food into our mouth, because you should be salivating. You should be like looking at the food and you know, like, you know, when, when Islam has all these things and, and, and a lot of ancient wisdom, Ayurvedic, Chinese, they all talk about focusing on when you're eating the energy you put into it, the energy you put in the cooking. Like, you know, a, a lot of us are not, you know, we're not preparing our food so much. So we're not, you know, so that cephalic phase starts from when you're preparing the smell, the, 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 t- the look, the, all that should have our digestive system going. In fact, what they say that the 30% of the acid production actually starts before you even put the food in the mouth. So the better your acid and the enzyme production is, the better you'll digest your food, right? Number two is chewing. A lot of us are not chewing. Even, you know, I, I notice my kids, you know, they'll be like eating so fast. They, they say you should chew so much that it should be like baby food in the mouth, right? And when you chew, our digestive system gets a kickstart like so when you're chewing the brain is sending a signal to the stomach that okay start re- releasing your your enzymes start releasing the the acid and that helps with the digestion right so and and as you're digesting well it moves through the system well if the if if there's too much food sitting around for too long that's when the the bad gut bacteria start growing as well so there's a lot of you know there's a lot you, you don't really even have to you can eat that cake Eat it mindfully. Don't eat it with guilt. You know, a lot of the energy you put into will make a difference. So eat that cake. That's okay. You it's feel- funny. I gave you the reference of the cake, but anybody who knows me knows me. I'm not a dessert person. <laughs> For me, it's the fries. The fries. Well, every fries. I'm. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, Aziza said, take your fries, <laughs> smell it, enjoy. <laughs> do the exercise you'll actually notice that you're salivating you notice you know a lot of times when we don't eat and you know we just grab a granola bar and on the go it's better probably not to eat anything you know and again that's another thing having those periods of not eating and that you know you've mentioned intermittent fasting you know it's it's amazing for the gut because you have a huge amount of time and that there's nothing going in the gut which allows it to process all that you know stagnant food and and that helps the gut keep moving and that's actually beneficial. So you don't even have to, you know, I don't want to leave you with a whole bunch of stuff that, cause it's hard to change your diet, but if you can just change how you eat, yeah. that will have an impact on your, on your brain health. 
right? And, and, and I think you're, you're right, uh, tying in the intermittent fasting, because uh, I, I opened, like, I started eating at 12. And by from 11 o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, a cup of chai, you know, like my meal. I'm really literally like I'm bit, like I'm at work and I'm waiting. Oh my God, stop, stop. Right. So I think it's good because I'm getting my back, like my enzymes flowing and everything. By the time I sit and have it, I enjoy it. Right. So last question quickly to Sayada. I am so loving this that the hour has gone by and I'm like, oh my God. So Sayada, what can somebody do um, uh, or what would you recommend uh, for motivation or energy to do something when they're going through, like, what is the one thing that you can do or what, you know, what would you recommend? How can we get off that couch? Um, I know it sounds crazy, but you just need to get off the couch. You may not want to go on the walk. You may not want to work out, but, uh, statistics also show that your overall mood the way it improves after your workout, even if you didn't want to do it 30 minutes ago, it, it drastically changes. And what that does is um, the endorphins that I mentioned right before, it actually helps you to continue to stay active because you, you like the way you feel after workout. Why wouldn't I want to feel like that again? Right. And then you get that cycle and then you become a personal trainer. <laughs> wow. So, so I know that if I uh, change into my workout clothes, yeah. And it's, I think for me, that's one of those things. So if I'm wearing my worker clothes and I'm like, I've worn them, I may as well just go for a five minute walk. Right. Like, even if it's five minutes, I, so, so yeah. So, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it takes, um, to, to, to get motivated for anything yeah. at all. Or if it's an energy drink, anything like that, you're right. The workout clothes. It's Sometimes we think of uh, snacking just as uh, eating, but you could have a movement snack as well, right? Exactly. You don't have to go on a whole walk. You could just do five jumping jacks and oh, wow. then you are That's officially eating. That's a good one. It's like yeah. just have a quick snack, right? Of a workout. That that is uh, that's something to think about and and to act upon. So. Um, Oh, I had, I think this was really good. And, um, uh, you know, I think that everyone at some point or the other needs help, right, in, in, in their lifetime. And, and I think that help does not mean betrayal or disconnection, because that's a lot of times that's what it's kind of uh, labeled as, as well. Um, it simply means that we're all unique. Um, that, you know, we all process life in our own ways. And um, some of us are just wired differently, right? So to provide that support and to, to get that help and, um, and, you know, just to, to, to take action or recognize that I need help and or somebody needs help and to provide that, that's what's important. And there's one thing that I do want to add is that even myself, I, I often uh, burdened uh, gratitude to fix many issues, right? Like if there's somebody some going through, why are you feeling this way? Or, uh, you know, you should be grateful. You have this and you have that and blah, blah, blah. And I think that, and I, and I think I posted this and it really did, um, like I connected with it, that, you know, gratitude is, um, is a supplement for our soul. And we should not confuse that with an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication, right? Like it, it cannot fix, just gratitude in itself cannot fix those things. Um, so, so on that note, um, uh, you know, this was an incredible session and, you know, we were able to touch so many different aspects of mental health and, and I hope and pray that, you know, people who are listening to us today, uh, you know, they were able to benefit from it. I would like to uh, thank all my guests today uh, for spreading such positive uh, insight on uh, mental well-being. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if uh, I don't know if anybody wants to add a little something as we conclude, um, I can open it up or to anybody else who wants to say a little concluding something. I want to thank you, Mama Kwaja, for like mm -hmm. starting this discussion, right? Because yeah, you brought all of us together, which is lovely, but that bringing us together is what was needed, right? So individually, we're strong, and then we're even stronger together. So I think it's great that we're having these conversations. And so thank you for doing this and opening up. Welcome. 
Thank you. You're welcome. I I, I truly, truly do. uh, You know, I'm grateful for all of you for making time on a Sunday afternoon and and showing up. Um, If everybody who's watching, do not follow us all on social media. Do that because, you know, you have access to all these people who can give you all this great information. um, And you don't have to sit down, you know, uh, and attend a call like this or a session like this, you can do it in your own time. So if you if you don't follow, I can always send the links uh, back on my Instagram. Um, do follow my YouTube channel. And um, I also uh, post podcasts on Spotify. Um, and if you have any follow-up questions for any of, our, uh, of the guests for today, uh, do not hesitate. Uh, uh, you can DM me directly or when you follow them, you can uh, DM them directly and they definitely can uh, give you all the information. And, um, you know, I'll just leave you with one last thought that, you know, some people are suffering and you'll never know because they suffer in silence. So be mindful when you're around people, be kind and be helpful. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Talk with Mama Kwaja podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so love it if you could take a moment to screenshot the episode and share on your Instagram stories. Do throw me a tag at mama.kwaja so I can see it as well. We'll see you next time with another episode of Real Talk with Mama Kwaja.